Okay. Should we check the ingredients of that cup? Oh, okay. All right. That was different. You're trying to be different in 2021, aren't you, Josh? All right. That's a good start. All right. Amen. <laughs> yeah, whatever. All right. Let us not pay any attention to Josh, but open our Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is not a book that we turn to a lot. So, if you have your Bible, I've already got my marked, of course. But if you're opening your Bible now for the first time, and you're thinking about where is Ecclesiastes, the best way I can begin to describe it to you is just to turn it open. You're going to get somewhat in the middle, or you're going to find Psalms. When you find a book of Psalms, just turn it a few more pages. There's 150 of those, by the way. And when you come to 150 Psalms, you're going to turn and find Proverbs. Then when you find Proverbs, you're going to find 31 of those Proverb chapters. And then after Proverbs, you're going to find what, Josh? Ecclesiastes, right. All right. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to be in Ecclesiastes now for several weeks. But I want to draw your attention to the title of the message today before we go any further. Because you look behind me, there's a message title every week. Seldom do I draw any significance to a title. But today you're going to find is simply two words, but repetitions. One word, but the same. Same, same. Same, same. Now, interestingly, as I, several years ago, I think I've mentioned this to you before, in the summer of 2013, I went on a 21-day missionary trip to Chiang Mai, Thailand. And while we're in Thailand, I mean, the whole intent to being there, as I was still in seminary with some other Southwestern Baptist students, was to go and to witness particularly to predominantly Buddhist, who make up the majority of the country, and to the rest of them would be Muslims. There, there are a few Christians while we were there that we noticed, but majority of them are by far Buddhist, with the most of the others Muslims. And our intention was to simply go there and begin witnessing to them, tell them the good news of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, some of which have never heard of Jesus. But while we were there, the trip was fairly successful. We had many people we were witnessed to, in and around Chiang Mai, many of them come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. While we're there, we didn't always begin to witness. We always had a little free time in which we could do things as well. And one of the things we did during the free time was we go down to the marketplace. Now, the market was rather interesting. Of course, we could witness at the market. We had to be careful at times in how we were doing our witnessing. But we could witness at the market. But primarily, we were going there to do some shopping. It'd be like a large, really large flea market, but really with better bargains. And there's anything and everything you can find at the market. So as we're going there, me and my fellow students, we began to do some shopping, began to look around, and we noticed several different types of apparel. One of them was a T-shirt. On the T-shirt were these words, same, same. That's all it was. A variety of colored T-shirts. But just one word repeated after the other. Same, same. Well, I saw the shirt. Didn't mean anything to me. But some of my fellow students began to look at the shirt, and they began to purchase the shirt. And then they began to go back and get another shirt and purchase another shirt. I said, why are you purchasing these shirts? I mean, it's got one word that's repeated itself. It's got same, same. What? 
why do you find this interesting? And they told me, because that's how the world is. Things never get any different. It's always the same thing over and over again. I'm thinking, that's a pretty bleak outlook for a bunch of seminary students. But that's what they expressed. That's how they felt. That things never get any different. It's always the same thing over and over again. The shirt is correct. It's the same, same. So same, same in our title really is expressing the words of Solomon to some extent. I mean, Solomon is going to tell us, we're going to look into his words over these next several weeks. We're going to find he's saying there's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. He's going to tell us everything is meaningless. We're going to find those words somewhat in the 11 verses we look at today in the first chapter of our messages and series pertaining to Ecclesiastes. But we need to back up a little bit and we need to begin to think about why. Why? Why would maybe we, in our new year that we have started, today is only the third day into this new year, but why would we need to entertain some words of Solomon where he is saying everything is meaningless? There's nothing different under the sun. I suggest to you because some people today are very optimistically looking into this new year. And and like Chris had mentioned with the children, COVID has been all about everything has been happening for the last nine months. It's almost all we hear about. You can't turn on the news without hearing another update pertaining to the coronavirus. So a lot of us are optimistically looking into 2021. And we're thinking, we're ready to put all that behind us. It's not been particularly a good year for many people. I mean, we've had a pandemic, which has introduced a lot of heartache and stress and financial burdens. And we just rather look behind us and put that away and look forward into the near. And we can do that. Because the prospects look promising. That's an optimistic viewpoint. But I also realize while some people are optimistically looking into 2021, there's others who are saying, wait a minute, nothing really is any different yet. We're still dealing with the coronavirus. It's still here. It hasn't went away because we turned from December December 31st into a new year of January 1st, 2021. It's still present. It's still here. In fact, we went back to being a red county. It went away for a little while, but now we're back to being a red county. There's even a new strain that's being introduced in the states now coming from Britain. I mean, the setbacks we had last March, many people think they're being this, it's going to continue. I mean, the experts say it could be another six months, even with the vaccine, before maybe this gets under control. So some people are looking at 2021 optimistically. Other people are looking at 2021 saying it's the same thing. The same thing. Just maybe a different number at the end of the end of the year. Rather than putting a zero there in 2020, I'm putting a one now for 2021. Other than that, everything's just the same. So having thought about that this past week, whether we look upon the new years optimistically or whether we do not, I think it's beneficial for us to look into the words of Solomon. Because Solomon, we're going to find, has struggled with purpose and meaning. And I think this morning that a lot of people are beginning to struggle with purpose and meaning in their lives. 
Maybe it's something we've already struggled with and just kind of set it aside. But all these things that happened in this past year, looking into the new year, thinking it's not really any different, brings back up the question pertaining to whether and what is the purpose of meaning. So we're going to look at the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes to help us determine and find, yes, there is purpose and meaning in every one of our lives. So look upon the, the words of the wisest man to ever live. Now before we do that, a few things about Solomon. If you know anything about Solomon, hopefully you know that he is King David's son. But upon becoming, I mean, so when David died, Solomon himself became king. But upon becoming king for Solomon, I mean, his kingship was much different than David. David was a warring king. Solomon never went to war. But upon the time that Solomon became king, God asked Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, you find that God appearing to Solomon, asking him what he would like to have. In chapter 1, or chapter 3, and verse 5, at 1 Kings, you see it says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in the dream by night, and God said to Solomon, Ask what I shall give you. So notice then, as you go through these verses, without reading them all to you, leaping down to verse 9, that Solomon asked for wisdom. He said in verse 9, give your servant. God is asking a question, what shall I give you? By the way, wouldn't you like for God to ask you what you want? Yeah, that would be a great question. So God asked Solomon what he wanted. Solomon, in verse 9, says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? So notice Solomon didn't ask in the way that God wanted him to respond. He didn't request money, wealth, or substantial health in life. He asked to receive wisdom, which greatly pleased God, by the way. So God then granted Solomon's request in 2 Kings chapter 4. You find that Solomon received wisdom beyond comprehension and understanding. Verse 29, it says he received it beyond measure. Verse 30, 1 Kings 4, says it surpassed the wisdom of all the people. So Solomon became the wisest man ever. However, Solomon in all his wisdom, which ultimately we'll find, by the way, he also became extremely wealthy. In all of his wisdom, he toiled over the question about life's true meaning. We're going to find in our time of Ecclesiastes and thinking about Solomon and looking upon him as a person, he had many different life experiences. But everything he did, everything he tried, everything he acquired in life proved to be meaningless. It proved to be completely, utterly meaningless. Everything he had. And he had substantially everything that he'd ever want. So it leads to a question. Does that sound familiar to you? Do you often begin to wonder about the purpose and meaning of life? Do you find yourself at any part of your life, this pertains to old or young, any part of your life, have you ever looked upon the horizon maybe even the beginning of a new year like we have now, without any kind of optimism. Is every day a dark day? 
is never going to get any better, is never going to change? Do you begin to think that, that, yeah, it's a new year, but it's the same, same. Nothing is ever going to get any different this year. Or do you ever find yourself truly contemplating any purpose or meaning in life? If that's where you find yourself, and many of us are there, do we need to heed the words from Solomon? Because Solomon is going to ultimately declare that life is meaningless apart from God. Life is meaningless apart from God. Miss Solomon's life lessons, no matter where we are in life, are beneficial to every one of us. So we begin by looking into the very first chapter of Ecclesiastes, a book rarely mentioned, rarely studied, rarely do you hear a sermon from Ecclesiastes. But we go in a series pertaining to Ecclesiastes to help us find purpose and meaning. And yes, life is meaningless apart from God. Stand with me this morning as we do so to honor the reading. We're again in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses of the words of Solomon. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on the surface the wind returns. Verse 7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. The place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has or been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be in remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after you. Oh, Father, Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word, Lord, and this series that you allow us to embark upon. Lord, we pray that you'll give us the word and let us hear the things, Lord, that you want us to hear as we begin to put things in perspective for this new year. I pray, Lord, boldly that you'll lead us and guide us and direct us into how we can truly find that there is, certainly there is, meaning and purpose in life and how we need to in our lives maybe right now this day this year draw even closer to you so lord we invite your presence to to lead to guide to to anoint this time we're together let us then lord receive this message you have for us today in its entirety thank you for it shall happen here and for the days beyond in jesus name we pray amen Well, as we begin to finish of the reading, as we begin now to look forward into dissecting some of the text, a few observations are noteworthy. The first one is this. 
Look at the manner in which Solomon refers to himself. He identifies himself in a rather unique fashion. You find in the English uh, standard version that we read from, you find it tells us he's identifying himself as preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And it's the same pretty much if you brought the King James or the New American Standard, you're pretty much finding the same words. But you're finding a little different wording if you prefer the NIV or the NLT. It, it, it's okay, but it's just a little bit different because rather than saying the word preacher, you find the word teacher. But maybe we need to back up for a moment, regardless of translation, and refer to the original transcript. The manuscripts tell us originally it was expressed as kohole, which is sometimes treated as a proper name or title. But if it was a title, it's the only time it's referenced throughout the Old Testament. But maybe most importantly with reference to Kohelet, is that it's most likely derived from the Hebrew noun, which means assembly. Which is then why several English translations capitalize upon it and refer to Solomon as the preacher, the teacher, or simply as the leader, the leader of the assembly. Koholet means assembly. He is the preacher, the teacher leading the assembly. Now, maybe you're thinking as you hear that, okay, that's rather interesting. But what significance is it, whether my Bible may say preacher, teacher, or some may even say leader assembly? What is there any significance from this information? I suggest to you that there is, because Solomon is the one person in the Bible, as I referred to earlier, who had everything. Now, we already know he had a great amount of wisdom that surpassed any amount of other people in comprehension and understanding. So, yes, he had wisdom. But besides wisdom, along with that, he had power. He had riches. He had great wealth. He also had the honor. He had great reputation, at least in the beginning. And also in the beginning, he had God's favor. So here's a man in the Bible who has everything. Everything that most people desire in life. We desire wisdom. We desire power and riches and reputation. He had all that in abundance. He had everything that we think that we need in our lives to prove ourselves to this world and to other people. So then here is Solomon as the teacher, the preacher, the leader, whoever you want to name him to be, who is riding it into an assembly to let them know that the ultimate emptiness that truly life does have to offer. The world offers as many things, but it's all meaningless. So he now knows as he's graduated later in life, he began to mature. And now he's writing in this book and saying, all that that I have is completely meaningless. He writes to anyone and to everyone like you and me who has been led by the so-called wisdom of the world to think that truly only purpose to meaning is found in achieving status and wealth, and prosperity. That's what the world is telling us that is the true meaning to life. That's the purpose that we have as human beings, to gain status and wealth and have prosperity and popularity, all these things, but it's false. So Solomon then is writing this 
as the preacher, teacher, the leader of the assembly, and telling everybody that all the things that he has, that the world is telling us we need to obtain, is meaningless. In essence, he destroys the myth that the world tells us that we need these things in order to have life, purpose, and meaning. So he does that. Then he points to everyone then who's reading Ecclesiastes, like you and I together this morning, he's pointing them to the true meaning and purpose, which is this. Commit to God, honor him, and keep his commandments. Now notice that Solomon in the 11 verses that we've taken the liberty to read this morning, you don't find those exact words in these 11 verses. However, as we continue to go further into a series of Ecclesiastes, we're going to find very similar wording. In fact, the end of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12 and verse 13, Solomon says this, The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of a man. Now, like we've said earlier, like we've already mentioned, Solomon had it all. He had everything. I mean, he had, yeah, the money, the wealth, the power goes along with that. I mean, he had an unbelievable amount of women. And, and he lived in this huge palace. I mean, he had everything that anybody thinks they ever could have or need. And now he's concluding that everything is completely worthless. It's meaningless. And, but look at the way in which he says it in verse 2. After he identifies himself in verse 1, he expresses everything is worthless. Now he says, vanity of vanities. And he says it again. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now notice, if you will, in verse 2, whether you're looking at your Bible or looking behind me at the way the Scripture is written, there's one word that's repetitious. The word vanity here in one verse is used five times times. Now, get used to the word vanity, because through, before we're done, you're going to find it gets extremely repetitious, so much so that 30 times in 12 chapters, you're going to find the word vanity. So notice in the vanity, as he uses it, he's trying to express that, it's, that things are useless. I mean, the word vanity is synonymous with useless and worthless and futile. In the book, 31 Days to Happiness, Searching for Heaven, Dr. David Jeremiah explains that today we connect vanity with egotism, with that man or woman who is overly self-involved. Vanity is always based upon an illusion, he says. But he goes further and says, Vanity is akin to a vapor that lasts only a moment before quickly vanishing, leaving nothing behind. Now, perhaps a vapor lasting only a moment is the correct analogy to use. Maybe Dr. Jeremiah's hit upon something here. Because in the word vanity, going back to the Hebrew, you're going to find the word vanity in Hebrew is hebel, which literally means breeze, breath, or vapor. And so now hebel then is used a number of ways in the Old Testament. I mean, the number of ways we see used hebel gives us a very clear picture 
that what the preacher is telling us true is the form. That things are a vapor and meaningless under the sun. First we consider the words of the psalmist who in Psalms 39 expresses human life is like a vapor. He says, you have many days, a mere hand breath, the span of my years as as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath or pebbles, like a vapor that lasts for a while and then is gone. Rather interestingly, as I began to think about this last week, the expression of hebel, even though it's a different word in the New Testament because it's Greek, gets the same type of expression. In at least whenever our Lord is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to use that word in shape and form it to tell us that everything that we think we have is a treasure, but is not. In the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, those very words have the idea of pebble, that it's a vapor, it's gone only for a while. It may exist, but it's going to be gone quickly. It's the idea that earthly treasures, riches, power that we think we need in life is all meaningless. So then combining pebble, as used in the Old Testament, particularly with Solomon's experiences, Together with the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount concerning treasures, earthly treasures, can leave us to conclude this, that wealth, power, and pleasure can be dangerous. The world tells us we need it, but it can be very dangerous even in the hands of the wisest, which was Solomon. These things long not to be mastered, but to master. So Solomon, here he's the teacher, the preacher, the leader of the assembly, is telling us as we start unfolding Ecclesiastes in the first chapter, the theme for today, which is again to commit to God, honor him, and keep his commandments. Seems rather simple. Commit to God, honor him, and keep his commands. Everything else that we do, everything else we try to achieve is vanity. It's completely useless and meaningless. Over the weekend, I'm not sure if you're a college football fan. I like college football. I like to watch college football sometimes more than professional football. But over the weekend, you know, we had the college football playoffs begin. We had Alabama playing Notre Dame. I was rooting for Notre Dame. Notre Dame got beat pretty handedly by Alabama. But then after the Alabama game, we have Ohio State versus Clemson. Everybody's already believed or thinking that Clemson's going to walk all over Ohio State. Ohio State's only played six games. They've won them all. Big deal. Clemson's played many more. They've lost one game. They lost all right because of Notre Dame. But they think Clemson is a powerhouse. They're going to go all over Ohio State. Ohio State wins the game pretty handily. Each team then, of the four teams left in the playoff system that the college football has developed, 
are all vying to win a chance for the national championship. So the national championship game will be played on January 11th with Alabama playing Ohio State. All right? But here's what I noticed after the game, particularly the first game with Alabama. Each game, the winning team received the trophy. So as I observed the trophy being handed to the Alabama coach, Nick Saban, I observed his reaction. It's like Nick Saban takes the trophy. He takes it for a moment, glances at it, quickly passes it off to somebody. It didn't mean anything to him. He's not in it for this trophy. He's in it because he wants the national championship trophy. So to Nick Saban, coach of Alabama, who already has six championships of Alabama, this particular trophy he received for beating Notre Dame is completely, utterly meaningless. It's hebel. It's like a vapor that's going to be gone for a while. It don't matter to him. He has six national championship rings. He wants the seventh. So I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking that's similar to Solomon. I mean, Nick Saban's got all these championships. Alabama's a powerhouse. That little trophy means nothing to him. Solomon is similar, and he had everything. I'm thinking if Solomon was the coach, he'd not have just six national championships. He wouldn't just have six rings on his fingers, one going into the other. He would have eight, one for each finger, right? And he might even have some specially made rings for his thumbs. He might have ten of them because Solomon had everything. But now Solomon, in the prime of his life, is realizing that that's meaningless. Trophies are insignificant. Those rings on my fingers don't mount to anything. I mean, Solomon learned the collection of awards is vanity. He knows life is not about awards. Life is not about receiving recognition. It's not about acquiring money power, prestige, wealth, popularity. It's not about status. It's not about any of those things. Solomon had all those things and more. And he found it all to be worthless in the end. Which is why then he states in rhetorically in verse 3. Rhetorically he says, after he said all what he already did about vanity, what does man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? Now, I like the words of the message, which says it somewhat differently. It says, there's nothing to anything. It's all just smoke. So what's there to show for a lifetime of work? A lifetime of working your fingers to the bone. That's the question at hand. Now, Quickly, time out. Please understand, Solomon is not suggesting that work itself is meaningless because if work provides for family to have food and clothing and housing, some of the basic essentials in life. So, yeah, life is work is going to have some work involved. I mean, Paul emphasized the value of work. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and verse 10, he says, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. In verse 12, he says, We command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So essentially, Paul is stating that we should not be slackers. It should not be a sluggard. 
If a person is capable of working, then he or she should work. Solomon himself expressed that a person should be not idle, but to do work. In Proverbs 20, verse 4, he said, A sluggard does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. Essentially, if a person can work, they should be working. So he's not saying that work is meaningless. So what is he saying? Well, basically, he is saying that work or labor shouldn't be the be-all, end-all. So many people you may know believe that their career, their life is defined by their occupation. It's the purpose they have in life. So Solomon is saying here, it's just saying we should not be working. It's not meaningless, but we should not be working to acquire certain things as the world defines success. In other words, he's saying you should not be working to obtain pleasure. Do not be working to obtain those simple pleasures in life. Because as Solomon has already stated, those pleasures are meaningless. They're vanity. They're a hebel. They're vapor in a moment, quickly gone. So in short, people, he says, gain no ultimate advantage or profit from all their tireless labor. Because it too is vanity if it is leading them to work tirelessly to the bone to acquire wealth and obtain earthly treasure. But in dissecting that verse, there's much more that's important than looking upon whether we should work or not. Look again at the verse, because the latter part of the verse is most important, where now he begins to use another expression you can find over and over and over again throughout the study of Ecclesiastes, which is under the sun. The three words, under the sun, should grab our attention because we're going to see it over and over to the point of 29 more times throughout Ecclesiastes. Notice how it's repeated even in verse 9, under the sun. So what does Solomon, then, if he says it so often, what is he meaning by under the sun? Well, under the sun means exactly what he says, literally life under the sun, as in life on earth. One scholar I was reading stated simply, under the sun implies an earthbound view of things. That's important to remember because Solomon, all of his life experiences, and all the things that he had obtained and acquired, he began to drift away from God. In the beginning, God was very pleased with Solomon. Solomon asked for wisdom. God granted him the wisdom. It ultimately led to substantial wealth and power and prestige. And they began to drift away from God. With all the wealth, the power and standing, Solomon drifted away from God. Remember we stated earlier, wealth, power, and pleasure can be dangerous even to the most wise. So Solomon allowed all these things then that he acquired to master him. His life experiences were conquering his heart. And ultimately, he learned that none of those things would fill the void in his heart. Every person, you may have heard it before, has some sort of empty void in their life, in their heart. And they try many different things throughout their life to think, this is what's going to fill my void in my life, 
in my heart. This is going to be it. This is going to give me the satisfaction I'm looking for. Solomon was doing all that, trying to find that ultimate void to be filled with some sort of satisfaction. He found it could not be. He learned all those things were meaningless. It did not fill a void. The world offered him pleasures of plenty, just like it can me and you. It offers all kinds of things to fill the void. And he tried all these things. He had all these things, but his heart remained empty. He got entangled with the world and its abundance of pleasurable pursuits, just like many people in life. So now here he is, Solomon, later in life, reflecting upon all the things that could not fill that void and saying, what's the purpose? Where's the meaning? Does life have any meaning and purpose? So he's reflected upon all the things under the sun. Of all the things he's gained, all the things he's had, all the experiences in life under the sun, living on earth. And he says, it's all vanity. It's vanity of vanities. It's worthless. Referring again to Dr. Jeremiah, he says, in this chilly season of Solomon's life, he comprehended the folly of a personal journey that lasted decades and went nowhere. There wasn't a great deal of self-righteous zeal to be found within him anymore. With all the wealth, all the wives, all the world before him, including an all-inspiring temple on his personal resume, there was nothing left in the world to bring him satisfaction. His old, there were those fleeting pleasures of everyday life, the little things. But he well knew that none of those things could deliver peace to his embattled soul. Which is why then he goes back to verse 9 and says there's nothing new under the sun. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Those words were written and expressed because Solomon struggles. He is struggling to find the purpose and meaning of life. In the book Unfolding Message of the Bible, G. Campbell Morgan purposely summarizes Solomon's outlook. He says, this man, Solomon, has been living through all these experiences under the sun, concerned with nothing above the sun, until there came a moment in which he has seen the whole of life. And there was something over the sun. It is only as a man takes account of that which is over the sun, as well as that which is under the sun, that things under the sun are seen in their true light. Now that's a lot of wording. But ultimately, what that wording from G. Campbell Morgan is telling us is exactly the point we're making today in our first of perhaps many messages of Ecclesiastes to find purpose and meaning. It's telling us essentially that Solomon learned some point in his life as he writes these words that life is meaningless apart from God. That we should all find purpose and meaning by committing our way to God 
to honor him with all of her actions and words, and to simply keep and follow his commands. That will start to give us life's purpose and meaning as we know it. So today, today is January 3rd, 2021. The new year has started. We're three days into this new year. And now we find ourselves in our time together simultaneously searching for a quest of meaning and purpose. It's been stated that life is meaningless apart from God. And that we should simply commit to God, honor Him, and keep His commands. That is the beginning of us achieving life, purpose, and meaning. We've got a lot more to go and a lot more to discuss. We're coming to a finale today and a conclusion. So as I wrap all that up and put a pretty little bow on it, here's the one question that we must consider today. Are you still chasing earthly pleasures living under the sun, not realizing that everything that matters is above the sun and only through the sun? That's the question. Everything that matters is through the Son, Jesus Christ, that we ultimately can gain the inheritance above the Son. Father, Lord, we thank you for the beginning of a study into Ecclesiastes so we can find purpose and meaning. Lord, we pray that these words that will be said over these next few weeks, beginning and including today, would not be the words that I want to be said, but the words you want us to hear. Because, Lord, life is difficult. And sometimes we begin to live thinking there is no purpose. There is no meaning. So let us find these words of Solomon to be true. That everything that we think defines purpose and meaning is a falsehood. It's the world's definition, but it's not, Lord, what you want us to know to be able to do. And so I pray for all of us today, Lord that we would commit ourselves to you, that we would honor you in all that we do, and that we would keep your commands. I pray for everybody here today, Lord, that they would draw closer and closer to you this day, but then all the days throughout this year. Help us, Lord, as individuals, and help us as a church find meaning and purpose and draw closer to you each and every day. Lord, thank you for the beginning of a study in the series. To point us to what we need to have this year. In Jesus' name we pray.